Hey everyone, welcome to the Industry Show. I'm your host Nitin Bajaj, and joining me today is Anil Puri. Anil, welcome on the show. Thank you, Nitin. My pleasure to be here. Pleasure is all ours. So let's get started with who is Anil. Uh, before I uh, get to that, let me let me just say something. Uh, Tiro, a, a colleague of Cicero, said that all we have left to ourselves is what is written down. <laughs> Let me paraphrase that to say that all we have left of us is what is videotaped. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate you doing this and, and leaving uh, the store of knowledge for people to look at and view it. Anyway, uh, coming to myself, um, I see myself in two roles. One is an academic leader. I've been a Dean of the Business School at Cal State Fullerton for 18 years and served as Provost of the University. Now, academic leadership is usually considered a backwater for leadership in the business world. But you know, I have a strong appreciation for business. I grew up in a business family. I was Dean of the Business School. The challenges of academic leadership are no less severe no less daunting than in the business world, mm -hmm. sometimes more so because we are dealing with a, a higher public higher education, uh, a, a, a entrenched, an entrenched faculty with the loss of union rights, with constrained budgets <laughs> and, and goals that are, are quite ambitious. Yes. So I've enjoyed my years and we'll talk more about how, what, what, I, what I try to do. But that's one of the roles. The second role I have is that of an economist, an economic forecaster. For the last uh, 28 years or so, I've been producing economic forecasts for the university and presenting them to large audiences. Started with a few hundred students in a classroom. And today we get seven to 800 students, public and private leaders. Wow. And we do it with Orange County Business Council. So it's a thrill every year to prepare those forecasts and share that information and have that discussion and conversation. Uh, other than that, on a personal level, I'm, I'm a struggling golfer. <laughs> <laughs> but who, who, who is golfer is it, right? Uh, I came from India uh, in, uh, in the 70s and uh, for my graduate school. Uh, I just stayed here, got married, have family, grandchildren now. And in this wonderful country of ours, uh, with all its contradictions <laughs> and opportunities. I, I wouldn't be anywhere else. So true and so very well said. And, you know, I would love to, and our audience would love to hear a little more about you know, what you did at uh, Cal State Fullerton, and you continue to do that uh, even today. And you mentioned the economic forecast, uh, if you can hint at you know, this this past year especially has been just out of nowhere. Right. So right. Love to hear a little more about you know how things have tracked over the past twenty eight years, and then specifically you know at Cal State Fullerton. Right. Let, let me begin with Cal State Fullerton and my role there as dean and provost, and then I'll talk about the, the forecast. As I mentioned, I was one of I was the longest serving business school dean. And I thoroughly enjoyed that tenure, not because 
No, we do some wonderful things. Uh, we started with a college that was rather demoralized. You know, we are a public university and faculty and staff and everybody, everybody else felt we are not as good as, say, UCI. We are not as rich as Chapman. We're just one of the Cal State systems. That was the attitude when I took over. So I uh, set it upon myself to change that view, to change that perception, to change that mindset. Because unless you have a mindset that mm -hmm. wants to grow and, and achieve, no matter what you do, that's not going to happen. So you know, we built building a building, $90 million building, which is an iconic building on campus now as home of the college, raising you know, $50 million, the biggest endowment, and making the college the fourth largest and the biggest in the state. Those are good, all good. But what I'm most proud of, in a way, is something more ephemeral, which is changing that perception of the faculty mm -hmm. and creating a new vision for a self-perception of who we are. And that started by looking at what is the purpose of Cal State Fullerton Business School? What is the essential purpose? And how are we unique compared to other institutions and what can we be proud of? Now, given where we are in Orange County, the diversity, our location here, and open-mindedness, open discussion that is provided by a public university, a large public university at that, mm -hmm. right? Uh, whose mission is to transform lives of their students. A lot of them are first generation, and not very well. Yes. Now, combining all that gives us a unique uh, point of view, a perspective, and a position. Because no place in the country has this location, mm -hmm. this kind of diversity, not only of language and food, but backgrounds and people that are immigrants and local, locals as well. And focus on applied for, uh, teaching, learning, that will prepare them, be ready to work mm -hmm. and ready to lead. Yes. That was the model that we set. Now, you know, lots of time, these are ideas that are discussed and put on the shelves, but, and which we did, we did, did write those ideas down. It was an intellectual challenge to come up with a mission statement and a, and a, and a full-fledged branding. But then to have the faculty buy-in, to have the students buy-in, to the staff buy-in, and then our stakeholders, the business partners, believe in that vision. That took a long, some time several years actually. But I'm so glad that we did that, we accomplished that, and the result was, you know, the building and endowment and, and everything else. And that is continuing to set the basis for strategic planning for the college, creating new programs, and all the other initiatives that the college is doing that. You know, I try to continue to do that at the provost level. It's a different, different landscape at the provost level. But looking at it from the university's point of view, I think the university is following a very similar path to mm -hmm. better high recognition. So that was wonderful. I'm still part of the college. I'm, I'm, I'm leading uh, what is called the Wood Center, mm -hmm. uh, which is the Economic Analysis and Forecasting Center. And uh, as, as, we, as we talked to you, I've been doing it for some time. And we are in uh, uh, exciting time. It seems like every year is exciting, <laughs> at least from my point of view. Because to me, you know, 
the, the bridge between present mm -hmm. and the future, yes. where they meet, the closest bridge. That is the most exciting part. Mm -hmm. Because what you do there, what you anticipate, what you analyze, and what you project has practical value. Right. You're going to make those decisions today, not mm -hmm. knowing, fully knowing what is going to happen in the future, but you have to make those decisions. So my role as an economist and my attitude in general is always thinking about what is next? Mm -hmm. Not where the puck is today, as we in said, but where it's going to be. And, and can you figure that out? Sometimes mm -hmm. we're right, sometimes we're not. We're right quite often in terms of, luckily, in terms of forecasting. But that is a constant uh, passion of mine, and that's what excites me, and I, I continue to do that. Yeah, I was thinking, as you said, you know, sometimes you're right, sometimes you're not. If you were right all the time, or if you were wrong all the time, <laughs> it would take the thrill away. Right? That's true too. This well, way you get to define the edge and live on it. Uh, as you know, some, I think future is hard to predict. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so tell us about some of the challenges, either the ones you faced in your journey as you made this paradigm shift and you know you changed attitudes and minds or even that uh, you know something that you continue to face today as you're doing the forecasting as the provost of the university yeah. let me put it this way that entrepreneurship in, a, in public higher education mm -hmm. uh, public means the state supported or state owned in a way mm -hmm. it's a bureaucratic institution right uh, I find that the challenges of entrepreneurship in the context of a public higher education is the biggest challenge that I have faced. How do you do things that are uh, that are risky? Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurship by its very definition is risky, new and innovative. Though it's built on what we, but it has to be built on what you currently have. Mm -hmm. uh, but be able to see the future markets or use of what you do. The, the state system imposes a lot of restrictions on what you can do and how you can raise money and use money. Mm -hmm. So that's a continuing challenge, I think, for public institutions. Mm -hmm. The problem with that attitude, with that kind of setup is that Today's world is moving so fast. Mm -hmm. It's not only the pandemic right. that has turned things upside down. Even before that, challenge for higher education have been mounting. Mm -hmm. The traditional higher education, as I said, is uh, is full of uh, um, endowed professors, mm -hmm. tenured professors, and unionization in, in a lot of ways. So how do you accept that because that's not going to change. <laughs> I can't change it and I don't know that the current system would allow it to change. But within that, how do you come up with creative ideas, innovative ideas that are forward-looking that will, first of all, uh, provide our students the information, the knowledge, the skill that they are going to need tomorrow in tomorrow's world. And also, uh, embolden our faculty to undertake those initiatives. The, the university to commit to resources, mm -hmm. supporting those resources. This is a continuous ongoing challenge. 
Right. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, that when it came to uh, business school, we started out with a poor attitude and few resources. Uh, and, and the only way I could see to change that was to find resources, <laughs> uh, create a new mindset of innovation and entrepreneurship, and come up with ideas that I think are going to succeed. And so branding and, and thinking of what our vision is, what our self-perception is, working on that, emphasizing that, building our stakeholders from business community to support that, to have them buy in our vision that we are capable of delivering the top quality education and rich with diversity and applied knowledge. Uh, we were able to accomplish that through the creation of a number of new centers, mm -hmm. center for leadership, uh, center for family business, entrepreneurship center, wood center, as I mentioned. Uh, there are about 14 different centers now mm -hmm. in the college. And I I'm happy to say that, you know, I have created at least half of them uh, with the center that we already had. But they provide the bridge for the business community, and, and uh, along with the boards, we had a dean right. advisory board that we created, top leaders, CEOs and chairmen, and, and many partners of uh, accounting firms. Uh, all together, uh, that led us, uh, you know, improved our, our um, uh, capability in financial terms, uh, along with the state's help to create this huge 200,000 square foot building. Hmm. Uh, that is really a state-of-the-art building. And moving in that building from five different locations, the college faculty and students were just so excited. It was a different world. It was their world. Mm -hmm. They owned it. And that provided them with a sense of, uh, sense of accomplishment mm -hmm. and ownership. And, and then coupled with that, the vision that we can be number one in what we do, and believing in that vision. I think it was a transformative uh, experience for me and, and the college, and it's continuing that story. I can imagine the strength of one, that mindset itself, right? But then also that energy that comes with that sense of accomplishment and that we can do it, it's possible. And yes, it's going to be challenging. It's going to, there's going to be bumps on the road, but we can do it. So, you know, I think you had mentioned it uh, the last time we spoke that it may not seem like the wheels are turning initially, but right. there's a lot of work that's going on beneath the surface. Absolutely. You know, people are busy with their day-to-day -day life. Faculty are busy preparing lessons, dealing with student issues and so on. Staff is busy with their, you know, getting the place running. Uh, so somebody has to come up with uh, a look above day-to-day mm -hmm. -day routine. And not only that, you have to, once people have this feeling that they're working for an exciting, bigger cause, bigger than what their day-to-day -day job is, this is not their, well, just their individual job, they're yeah. part of a bigger enterprise. Mm -hmm. That's what brings excitement, that's, that's what brings, I think, creativity, the satisfaction and excitement of what you do. So both in my role as provost and dean, and now uh, as I, as I um, help navigate the university and the college and help prepare our young leaders. I continue to believe in that 
that having a vision uh, as to where you want to go and, and being and, and it being part of more than just your personal mm-hmm. job for which you get paid. Right. If you if you see this as a part of a bigger whole, that provides not only more satisfaction, but also higher achievement, your personal achievement as well. So true. You you talked about the challenges. I'm curious to hear the opportunities right? with so many young minds that you continue to shape and with the resources you have built over the years, what, are, what is the one big opportunity you're targeting? At the moment, the uh, pandemic has highlighted the need for a completely different way of mm-hmm. providing instruction, education. Uh, Zoom meetings and uh, have, have taken the place of uh, an in-person classroom. And I don't think it's going to go away, and I don't think it should go away. Right. I think the faculty and the, and the university needs to uh, raise the level uh, of the quality of that, which means students need to feel that they are getting as good an education on an online system as face-to-face. There will be a lot of work to do uh, in addition to what we've already done in this one short year. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that faculty who never they were adamantly opposed to using anything to do with uh, uh, online instruction. They were forced into doing that. There was no alternative to that. And they, and they have come to appreciate that. They are on, all on board. So a very heavy lift has already taken place. Yes. The challenge for the university now and the opportunity for us is to take advantage of that, mm-hmm. that move up right. and create new opportunities, create new ways of delivering instruction, preparing our students for today's world. And today's world has changed. You know, the students today need a lot more of quantitative, data-oriented information. In their thinking, they need to think of much broader issues thrown up by revolution, not only in data and technology, but in biology and medicine, Yes. in global health and global climate change. Mm-hmm. Every generation has their challenges. Our generation's challenges are more global than they have been in the past. Yes. Everything that we do, whether it's the plastics mm-hmm. or whether it's uh, global warming uh, and whether it's geopolitical issues. True. Uh, you know, China rising mm-hmm. and, and U.S. feeling that you know, they, are, they are being left behind or, or they, they feel uh, competitive pull. So these are huge challenges for us. And educational institution, higher educational institution, have always been at the forefront of thinking about it, providing ideas, and then providing means to get there, to meet the new challenges. So if anything, I think there's a much greater need today than it has been in a long, long time to energize educational institution all the way from kindergarten. True. I think early child education, and people are coming to realize that, is uh, 10 times or 20 times more valuable than money spent fixing teenagers' problems. Mm-hmm. If you get them in the first three to five years, yes. you won't have those problems when they are teenagers. So we have to invest both at the front end and the top end where the, you know, university research takes place. And, and people, the skills, you know, job-related skills are, are taught. 
I think we need to have a, a greater, much greater emphasis and focus on what it is that we should be doing, not just throwing money at it right. and, and hoping that everything will come up roses. There was a time that happened in the 60s uh, somehow uh, when we you know, won the race to, to moon and back and another. Right now, I think it has to be more deliberative. It's mm -hmm. full of more moral issues about uh, life, uh, human life, value of human life, value of environment. And so our students need to think in those terms rather than you know, working in tool factory. Right. It's, it's in a lot of ways, you're thinking holistically at a macro level, but then also be very focused and mindful of your surroundings, what can and should impact your neighborhoods. Absolutely. As I said, you know, it sounds like a more abstract idea, uh, but I think you have to start there. Yes. With a global outlook, with a much broader landscape to paint on. And our students need to see that. Unfortunately, <laughs> what we see in our politics is such a sharp divide and such a such negativity to uh, intellectual discussion of the value of science and knowledge and thinking uh, that um, it makes it more of a challenge. Mm -hmm. It's the reality of our lives today. Uh, and the only way out of that I'm afraid it's through education, patience, and it's going to take time. It's going to take tens of years, maybe generation or two, uh, before we get over this negativity that we're feeling today, that has been, you know, made part of uh, our lives today. Uh, but there is no easy, quick way. I'm afraid mm -hmm. changing that, except one person at a time, one child at a time, and one adult at a time. It's a healing process, right? And with any kind of healing, it takes time and effort to keep nurturing those wounds and keep building on the on the right track. And you, you talked about the successes. I'm curious to hear along this journey, as a leader, as a team, if there were certain instances or maybe one that stands out that was more of a lesson learned, right? things that you had hoped and expected would work a certain way, but didn't turn out that way, and you had to change course. Well, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of instances where <laughs> I wasn't successful uh, in doing what I what I wanted to do. Um, in terms of the university setting, at the provost level, uh, I tried to get the faculty to do what they're doing today because of pandemic, mm -hmm. which is uh, change uh, the learning technologies, make better, more use of technology. I, in fact, was the first faculty member in the university to teach an online course mm -hmm. quite some time ago. So I knew the potential of that. Right. But when I tried to do that, uh, there was such uh, resistance to it uh, from a minority of faculty, but a sizable minority, mm -hmm. that 
I was successful only partially and only in the business school, but not the university as a whole to do that. In retrospect, if they had listened to me, had I been successful, we'll be far, far along on that path than we are today. So true. Well, but then, you know, it ended out that as an economist and someone who constantly predicts future, <laughs> you were right. But, you know, all you can do is try your best. Yes. And if it doesn't pan out, well, you did your best. That's all you can do. No regrets. So true. And with that philosophical thought, I want to switch gears and talk about you. And the way we do that is through a series of one-line life lessons. So I'm going to invite you to share a few of your one-line life lessons with us. Um, yeah, I know you're going to ask me that. <laughs> well, one uh, uh, lesson sort of that comes to my mind is that you should let life change you. Hmm. Otherwise, it's a wasted life. Uh, life experiences, uh, learning from day-to-day -day activity, learning from people that you come across with failures and successes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's okay to change. It's okay to learn and grow because that's what life is about. If you had a rigid attitude, if you're not resilient, mm -hmm. then it's just a waste of time. So I always believed in uh, being flexible, adapting, looking for new things, and changing as much as I can. That's beautiful. It's kind of reminds me of another one that let life be a teacher. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the best teacher you have. And and you have to you have to make an effort really to change yourself. As you get older, I think it's much harder mentally to change our attitudes and our behavior. And it's a constant battle, lifelong, never ends. So true. Because, because life is always changing. There's always something new. Yes. The, the second uh, uh, phrase I will use is that uh, persistence and hard work will mm -hmm. always lead to success. You know, one can be very smart, one can be very lucky, and you may have successes here and there, but when you work at it uh, hard and for a long time, it may take some time, you know you're gonna succeed. True. There's no alternative to that in my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, third phrase I already used, I told you that, which is that uh, your best is all you can do. Mm -hmm. Yes. No regrets. Yes. Don't look back. Don't don't say, oh, I wish I had done that. Mm -hmm. Or say, somebody else did better than you did. Well, I did the best I could under those circumstances. Right. And that's the best I could do. Yep. No question. You gave it your all, right? You so you, you all. don't have any regrets. Yep. No, no regrets. You shouldn't have any regrets. Yes. And uh, another thing that, again, I mentioned 
is go for a call that is bigger than you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because I think that brings out the best in you. Not only compassion, but your own creativity and the satisfaction you get from accomplishing that because it's not just for you, it's for a bigger cause. Mm -hmm. and, and you are feeling part, being part of that. It lasts beyond you True. and helps other people. So I found that that has always provided meaning, a lot more meaning to me than what I do for myself. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of the se separating the, the selfish from the, the impact that you create, the giving back, the community aspect, or just, just even being part of a, a team or a group. Absolutely. <clears throat> Uh, it is uh, hard to fathom sometimes mm -hmm. and to find <clears throat> find a cause <clears throat> to, to which you can commit to. Yes. And it doesn't have to be today. But I think if, if you have that in mind, then uh, you'll find opportunities uh, to do that. And the last one I would say is... Uh, is about leadership. I think empowering others around a vision is what makes a leader. I love so you're that. always you're always are standing on the shoulder of others and support yeah. of others. Yes. Very few accomplishments worth their salt are individual accomplishments. Mm -hmm. No, even if you're learning, you know, a sport. Right. Oh, I did this. <laughs> you forget all the coaches, all the family members, all the friends, everything in your life that led you to that point. So don't never forget that, that all accomplishments are result of a much bigger base. Yes. And, and as a leader, you know, empowering um, your, your people that you work with, people that you come in contact with, letting them buy into the vision. That is your role as a leader. Not, not say, oh, I did this. You know, as a sidetrack, just as you mentioned it, it came to me, I've always had a challenge with organizations and enterprises defining roles as individual contributors. Right. And uh, you know, just because of this reason, it. It hasn't ever made sense to me. As an economist, I can tell you <laughs> that we economists use the idea of productivity. Yes. And in business settings, people reward you. You get bonuses <laughs> from what, how you accomplish your goals. Yes. And they forget that the goal that you accomplished were the result of a team effort. <laughs> and so I think our reward structure is uh, to, messed up. <laughs> yeah, messed up. The, the, the challenge is to provide in, individual incentives to do their best. Yes. But also recognize that uh, after all is said and done, that what is accomplished is the result of many doing that work. Yes. So individual uh, entrepreneurship, creativity, ideas, ultimately, there are very few group ideas. Mm -hmm. Most ideas arise in the mind of an individual. 
all, almost all ideas actually. Yes. But then uh, how to move that idea forward uh, often more than often is the result of, uh, of a team. Right. And so I think as a society, uh, we need to meet, you know, keep that spirit of entrepreneurship, of creativity, uh, but uh, be sobered by the fact that to, to accomplish those achievements, to have those achievements, it took a team. Business people fall into the trap all the time. Mm -hmm. Business CEOs say, oh, look, my company accomplished this and that. They forget that there's an ecosystem mm -hmm. that the company operates in. Yes. There are laws and regulations, there's a company, there are suppliers, there are workers, and they're selling to their customers. All of that is led to their success. Without the infrastructure, for example, that society provides, both physical and, yeah. and, and otherwise, is that the environment that the businesses are working in? They're taking advantage of yes. those healthy society yes. who have Medicare or medical or health insurance. True. It's very much part of the success of a business. Working roads and bridges, having a clean environment and clean water and good, uh, well-educated workforce. They didn't come out of nothing. Yes. And they are very much a part of why a business, why an individual is successful. So true. And, and very, very thoughtful, you know, considering what we are going through as a nation, as a global economy that, uh, you know, we can't afford to lose sight that we are all part of this bigger ecosystem and all our actions, all our thoughts multiply and compound either for the good or for the bad. Absolutely. Yeah, but you know, at the same time as an economist, let me tell you, I'm very hard-nosed about how you spend resources yes. and how you incentivize individuals. Mm -hmm. Because you cannot forget that. You cannot be just goody-goody. <laughs> I'm not a tree hugger. Yes. So you have to recognize the individual nature, mm -hmm. how people respond to incentives. What is it that motivates them? And, 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 and support that. That is not always with money. True. With money, monetary incentives help. That is creating a, a system where people want to do, uh, want to come up with new things and new ideas and excited about innovation, excited about the future, making things better mm -hmm. uh, without being so self-centered that they um, resent paying, paying their fair taxes. It's <laughs> so true. Anil, on that positive note, on that note of looking forward do good things. Uh, really, thank you for taking the time. I really enjoyed, I learned a lot, and I'm sure so will our audience. We would, be, we would love to bring you back on the show and maybe give us a sneak peek into your next yearly economic forecast on the show. And uh, thank you once again for taking the time. It's been thank a you. pleasure. Enjoyed it.